welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to episode 53. Big guest on the uh, slate this evening, and uh, he is a returning guest. Matter of fact, I believe he's the first guest to be on three times. But uh, a lot has changed in the last couple of uh, couple of weeks here, and so I felt I gotta get this guy on. Uh, I gotta make sure that people know that not only is he a regular contributor to Counterpunch, not only is he a friend of mine and a comrade in struggle, but he is now also the uh, officially now the vice presidential candidate for the Green Party. He is a Jammu Baraka. I hopefully can uh, be able to say this is the man. This is the man who finally, finally makes me consider possibly voting. Anyway, <laughs> Jammu Baraka, welcome back to Counterpunch Radio. Uh, thanks a lot, Eric. I really appreciate um, you know, being back on your show again. This is uh, fantastic. You know, um, you are somebody who I take a tremendous amount of inspiration from, and I'm not saying that just because you're on the show and I want to sound nice. I, I really mm. do. And I think that part of the reason why I feel that way about you, about your work, about your uh, perspectives, your analysis, and all the work that you do is because of your track record because of your commitment to all of the same causes that I'm committed to. And I think that that's really where I wanted to begin our conversation today, because there are a lot of people nowadays, you know, in the last week or two, since uh, the announcement of you uh, running with Jill Stein on the Green Party ticket, a lot of people who are like, who's that guy? What? Who is this guy? So let's start there. Tell people what I already know, but what I want other people to know. Tell people who you are. What do you do? What do you stand for? What has these last few decades been about? Well, you know, uh, Eric, I, I appreciate that question. Um, and uh, one small correction. It's only been a week. I mean, it feels like it's been a few weeks for me, but it's only been a week since I uh, I, I got the call from, from Jill. And, of course, I accepted the nomination this, this weekend. And you're right. That's been the question that uh, a number of people have had. Who is Ajambo Baraka? They know uh, about uh, uh, my writings and many know uh, about uh, the activism that I've been involved in. Uh, but I, I think that uh, people are also looking for a little bit more. And because I'm now in the public domain in a different kind of way, um, you know, I guess those kind of questions are, are, are expected. So basically, uh, you know, Eric, who I am basically, quite simply, is uh, someone who has uh, given his life to, uh, to, to struggle, to serving uh, the people. And that sounds sort of, you know, sanctimonious or whatever. But, you know, I had a live, I had an experience that uh, suggested to me that the only principal way to, uh, to live this life uh, were to, was to live in struggle. You know, I, I grew up um, on the south side of Chicago, um, the oldest of, of six kids um, in a working class uh, community. And not only was it a working class community, but we ended up being sort of on the bottom of that community. We, we, we literally lived in a basement apartment uh, in Chicago. Um, and had a, a lot less than even our working class friends and neighbors. And I say that, Eric, because, you know, what that instilled in me was an understanding of not only the consequence of, of, of race, that is being um, a member of a despised or discriminated against group uh, in this country, but what I had to see and to experience was also the contradictions of class, class within the, the African-American community. And so that experience, I think, uh, prepped me for the kinds of influences that uh, started to emerge in the 1960s uh, among uh, black radicals who were uh, involved in continuing the black radical tradition of the 1960s from the uh, revolutionary action movement inspired uh, by Malcolm X uh, to the Black Panther Party uh, that was one of the major uh, formations that really introduced on a mass level 
the, the, the notion of class and how class connects uh, to race. Uh, of course, one of the contradictions of that time, too, was that we had a very little, very uh, underdeveloped understanding of, of the issue of, of gender. But, you know, in terms of my story, you know, those were the, uh, that was a theoretical sort of, sort of influence that helped me to begin to grapple with the world. So from that, I, I concluded that, uh, you know, if we we're going to engage in struggle, if I was going to engage in struggle, I had to engage in a struggle that uh, centered the idea of class. Uh, and from that, that led me to a critical understanding of capitalism uh, and then to uh, understand imperialism. Uh, so that shaped my politics uh, and my worldview. Uh, and, you know, getting involved in the uh, African Liberation Support Committee in the 1970s, organizing uh, while I was in the military in the, in the early 1970s in this country, uh, and in, and in Germany as part of the occupation force, and that's what it was in the 1970s. Um, and I, I was able to make the link between what we were trying to do and accomplish in the U.S. Uh, with the, with the, with the, uh, the globe, you know, the international uh, uh, aspects, and to link those two together. And so that shaped my politics, uh, you know, uh, getting involved in, in uh, revolutionary pan-Africanist organizations, being a member of the uh, All African People's Revolutionary Party, uh, and then moving on to uh, other kinds of formations uh, in the 1980s. Um, and, but I'm going to tell you, the thing that really uh, opened it up for me was when I went south, uh, ended up in Georgia, uh, and had a marvelous opportunity, Eric. I was working with the uh, Voter Education Project, which is one of the last of the institutions that came out of the Freedom Summer of 1964. And that organization was involved in, in, in voter education and voter registration, primarily in rural communities across the South. And getting a chance to work with them briefly and working with my first mentor, Ed Brown, who was the brother of uh, Jameer Alamein, or better known as H. Rap Brown, uh, it gave me an opportunity to see uh, realities that uh, I had only read about uh, and to be able to uh, ground myself in the, the struggles of people who were living in situations where they made up the majority of populations, but yet they were still politically disenfranchised. It gave me an opportunity to see how people lived in rural communities. And so that really helped to enrich my understanding of what had to be done in terms of, of political opposition here in, in this country. That led to uh, me embracing and understanding, uh, going back to Malcolm and notion of the notion of human rights. And I got involved with uh, human rights struggles uh, in the 1980s and ended up in a formation that I know you have some issues with, um, Amnesty International. Uh, but for me, uh, as a volunteer with that uh, formation, it allowed me to really ground myself in that framework and to, to make further connections between what was happening uh, globally. Uh, and then from there, um, uh, in the environmental justice movement in the 1990s, the, the uh, anti-Klan marches, uh, and it, it continues. You know, so basically this was a, uh, a very quick and dirty sort of uh, a version uh, in between all of these various experiences with uh, uh, numerous specific experiences where I had a chance to engage in uh, serious uh, community organizing, I had a chance to basically involve myself in every aspect of political opposition work that one can, can imagine. And all of these kinds of experiences sort of congealed to bring me to the point where I am today. I'm involved in, uh, still involved in, in working in the international field, uh, still involved in uh, advancing a radical understanding of human rights, uh, and now involved in this effort uh, with Jill Stein to uh, to engage the people in the U.S. around the questions related to how we relate to uh, the electoral process and, uh, you know, how we try to advance the, the struggle, the fight for democracy um, in this country. One of the things that really is interesting to me is that uh, knowing you for, for a while as I have and, and, and knowing what you're about and knowing some of your history, it's, it's a very different 
set of experiences, a very different perspective, both in terms of where you fall on the political spectrum, but also where where you have sort of placed yourself in the socioeconomic fabric of the United States. It's a very different set of experiences and politics that I think you're bringing to the table to this ticket, because rightly or wrongly, whether it's fair or unfair, a lot of people have a uh, uh, perception that the Green Party is more or less the white progressive, you know, bourgeois liberal kind of third party that is a little too progressive for the Democrats, but is more or less a a white affluent party. And I think, you know, as I said, right or wrong, whether that perception uh, that that perception is out there. And I think that your involvement in this campaign is a very clear and important indication that actually what the Green party is attempting to do is to build something much more broad than that and much more rooted in the experience of the marginalized and oppressed communities that so desperately need a third party or some political formation to speak for them, to speak to their issues, to speak to their experiences, and to incorporate them into a broader political movement. Well, I think you're absolutely right that it does reflect a, a, a real commitment uh, uh, an understanding that uh, in order for us to build an effective radical opposition, we have to have the full participation of all the, all of the communities. Um, and I'm not suggesting that uh, I represent uh, uh, black America, not at all. But I think that uh, in my conversations with Jill Stein, uh, I think she recognizes that uh, if we're going to build a progressive uh, social block, uh, that... Um, uh, at the center of, of that has to be the uh, African-American uh, opposition movement, you know, uh, the black liberation movement, if you will. Uh, and so this is this is this is a commitment. Now, I mean, you, your your characterization of the uh, contradictions uh, of the party are, are fairly uh, accurate. But, you know, there are elements in the party and they've been there quite some time who uh, appear to be uh, committed to uh, transforming the party, expanding the party, making the party a safer space uh, for people of color. Uh, and I felt, I felt that. I felt, I felt a welcoming environment mm -hmm. uh, last weekend at the, at the convention. So, you know, I, you know I, I don't think people in the party would shy away from aspects of your, of your analysis, uh, but I think they also would say that basically they are committed to, uh, to struggle, uh, committed to struggle with uh, uh, folks inside the party who may not be there yet, um, and that they recognize that this is a critical moment um, with the political realignment taking place in this country, and that the Greens have an opportunity to be positioned to, uh, to be the alternative for those social movements and individuals who still believe that uh, there is something of value to relate to the electoral process as part of a broader broader strategy um and so there's tremendous opportunities to expand this party especially in places like like the south uh and i think that uh, you know as you said many people are now taking a second look at this party and you know if they believe that it's something that needs that they can be worked with then they'll do that uh, you know i'm my 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 position um my my political line of course is not one that says we're going to liberate ourselves through voting. I'm not asking people uh, to just vote for this ticket. I'm inviting people to be a part of a, a protracted struggle for alternative power and to, to, uh, to look at how the electoral process, this bourgeois uh, process, uh, might be an instrument uh, as part of a broader strategy for building local power. So, you know, my thing is about we have to understand that we are in a protracted struggle for power and that this is one component uh, or can be one component of a larger um, strategy for, for building that kind of dual power we have to build as we go forward. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that one thing that really needs to be highlighted here, and I'll, I'll just point out that we're recording this on August 11th. And the reason I'm dating the recording of this conversation is because I expect there to be many more attacks on Jill Stein and Ajamu Baraka and the Green Party in the coming days. And the reason for that is what you just said, because the liberal establishment, those who have aligned themselves behind Hillary Clinton, Clinton and the Democratic Party, those who have thrown in their lots with the, call it the liberal wing of imperialism, they recognize what you just said. Even if a lot of activists and people on the left may be skeptical, the Democratic Party and the liberals uh, in the media who work with as an appendage of the Democratic Party, they understand that what Ajamu Baraka says, they are in a protracted struggle for power, for real power. The Democrats and the liberals they get that. And that's why they're unleashing the hounds on you guys. That's why the smear campaign is going and going strong. That's why they're trying to tie Jill Stein to all sorts of uh, views that she doesn't really hold and distort statements that she's made. That's why they're dragging out, you know, writings that you put out there that were critical of this, that critical of that, that, uh, you know, trying to smear you in any way because what they desperately want to do is to discredit the movement that is clearly and unmistakably growing. You, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and they've already, they've been sharpening their knives, and they've been coming coming after us for, for the last few weeks. Um, and as you said, they have been distorting uh, Jill's positions on a number of things. Uh, interestingly enough, those, those white liberals uh, are trying to take me to task for my uh, persistent uh, uh, critical analysis of their own racism, their own commitment to to upholding white supremacy, you know, and and as you know, you know, I've been uh, raising that issue uh, because it, it, it continues to be the Achilles' heel of the radical movement here in this country, and if we don't address these issues of, of white supremacy, uh, then we're not we're not going to ever be in a position to really advance a, a radical agenda, uh, and so I, I think my critiques have been have been principled. Uh, but they are using uh, my my comments to try to suggest that I'm some type of, of anti-white, <laughs> you know, black supremacist. And that's understandable. We, 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 we accept that, you know. But the, the other line of attack that they are starting to create now, too, is that now that I'm, I'm some type of uh, 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 anti-Semitic, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 and this and that, I mean, that... You know, Glenn, Glenn Ford said something today that was very interesting. He said that, you know, uh, anti-Semitism is uh, their uh, McCarthyism. That's the tool they, they pull out when they are really threatened by uh, someone or some movement. So it's been a, it's been a very interesting sort of uh, uh, phenomenon to watch uh, unfold. But you know what? They don't understand that the people at this point aren't going to fall for these kinds of smear campaigns. People are looking for an alternative. And I think because people have respect for me and have a sense of, of my principles and what I stand for, I don't think that uh, any of these attacks are going to, to stick. Now, they may stick with folks who don't know, because, you know, when, they, when the propagandists come out, they are very effective in just simplifying and, and putting certain words together uh, to, to paint a picture. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to strike back. We're going to struggle because... Right now, the, the terms are too important to allow these uh, liberal propagandists, these these Clinton uh, um, uh, supporters, uh, you know, to to have to to win the day. That's that's definitely correct. But I want to just nail this down because I think it is absolutely critical that we get a direct answer. A, a, a direct position on this issue. And I bring it up because, as I said already, I know you. I know you on a personal level. So I don't need you to tell me that not only are you not anti-Semitic, that you don't deny the Holocaust or any of these other nonsensical things that are going around now, but specifically that you have dedicated your life, I mean your life, 
to fighting against exactly those same cultural, you know, degeneracy, that same cultural degeneracy that you see in the form of white supremacy and in the form of fascism. And that's exactly the point here is they're trying to, they're trying to smear you as somehow this like pseudo fascist with, uh, who, who God knows what kind of conspiracy theories and whatever. And what I'm getting at is, a, not only are you not that, but B, you have now become sort of this lightning rod that's exposing what is clear to all of us and has been from the very beginning that liberalism in the United States is, in fact, the left flank of white supremacy, that they are inherently upholding white supremacy, and that the smears against you are a perfect illustration of what liberal race looks like and it needs to be said and it needs to be said explicitly because these people are not only shameful propagandists they are in fact the enemy well i think you i think you just said it eric i mean it you know liberalism and, and liberalism is morally bankrupt i mean it, that's, that's absolutely clear um and what they are trying to do now is to try to undermine the the moral authority that we have uh, as a, a campaign that's developing to to stand up uh, for the working class uh, here in this country, to to advance a notion of of, of our, to, to to advance principles that uh, uh, that transcend the limitations of, of liberalism, to talk about you know a, a new kind of democracy uh, and an a, a economic uh, uh, liberation of the people that, that goes beyond uh, the limitations of capitalism. You know, so they have to undermine this movement morally, and the best, and, and, and so they find different ways of doing that. And of course, the sort of uh, loony left narrative is one of the ways in which they try to to undermine these kinds of oppositional moments. But you know, when this is not going to be successful, I mean, because again, as I said, you know, uh, people are looking for an alternative. Uh, people understand. Uh, what they saw at the DNC uh, a few weeks ago, uh, they are getting a sense that this country continues to move uh, to the right. Uh, they feel that their participation in the so-called democracy uh, appears to be uh, without real meaning and value, uh, and they are thinking critically. I mean, when you look at polls that say that uh, young people are seriously considering uh, what socialism means, I mean, and seriously considering socialism as an alternative. That's the kind of stuff that, 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 that strikes fear in their hearts. That's why they have to undermine this campaign because they know that we have a demographic that is, is, is moving toward uh, this oppositional emotion. They know that we are connected uh, to the Black Lives Matter movements and all of the progressive movements here in this country. And we wanna have a conversation with those movements to see you know, if they believe that part of the strategy for advancing uh, and building uh, this progressive, this radical social block might include uh, an electoral component, that perhaps this might be an instrument for that. So we have, we want to have those kinds of, 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 of principled, honest conversations. Again, this is not just about a campaign and, and us winning. We want to have votes because we want to have the ability to have uh, the Green Party on the ballots as we go forward across the country. But this is a, 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 an engagement. This is a conversation. This is a, a uh, in-house struggle, if you will, among uh, real active, real revolutionary and radicals around how we uh, build and advance popular power. And that's the theme of this campaign. It is uh, a commitment to uh, uh, making power to the people real. That's right. But it's also about something else that I think absolutely needs to be said and, you know, Whatever. I'm going to say it. I don't care what people have to say about it. It's my show. I could say it. The bottom line is one thing that these that these liberals are trotting out endlessly in the most and without any self, you know, self-critical analysis, without any understanding of the irony of it, is that they look at Donald Trump and they say, this is a fascist. We have to stop fascism. We got to stop fascism. And the way we're going to stop fascism is with corporate imperialism. 
And this is this is the nonsense here. So that when they turn this smear campaign on you and paint you as some kind of, you know, conspiracy nut or some kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, a secret cabal of Jews run the world and whatever they whatever they're throwing at you. What they're really doing is they're trying to attack genuine principled, authentic, anti-fascist, anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-homophobic, uh, movement and to, and to take on you with your decades of experience and all of the rest of that, it shows what you just said earlier, the moral bankruptcy of their position. They don't know the first thing about fascism because they could start by looking in the mirror. Exactly. And they, they also demonstrates a certain degree of desperation. They have no, they have no understanding of what is bubbling up around them. Uh, if the Clinton machine understood that, that perhaps they would have, um, uh, given more of a, of a, of a concession to the, to the, to the Sanders supporters, uh, they don't understand that there are young people in this country who are involved in, in fantastic work around this country and that they are, are fed up with the two-party monopoly. They are raising serious questions about the nature of the state. But they, uh, just uh, a few days ago, you might uh, have read that uh, the movement for Black Lives Matter, uh, have released, they released a platform. Uh, in that platform, they have uh, expressed their solidarity with uh, Palestinian liberation uh, and support now uh, the boycott, uh, divestment sanction movement. Uh, and liberals have gone absolutely crazy as a consequence. But that expression was in the, in the, in the tradition of, 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 of black internationalism. It always understood that uh, black liberation uh, was part and parcel of a broader liberation of all people. And that, uh, solidarity with all people who are engaged in struggle against imperialism, struggle against colonialism was part of what we had to embrace. Uh, and so this is what's happening. This is the nature of what is around the corner, around the curve. And they just don't understand what's happening. This campaign and what we're trying to build, we're trying to make sure that we get around that curve uh, and get around that curve together. Uh, because we know what's around the corner because this thing, this center right, uh, it can't hold. Um, and, you know, we want to be positioned uh, to be able to advance this, uh, this, this motion uh, when people continue to uh, uh, acquire the kind of consciousness we know they're going to acquire uh, that will lead them to the conclusion that the only way forward is to radical revolutionary change here in this country. There's no doubt about that. Now, um, I'm up against the clock a little bit, so although I have a bunch more that I could say on that subject, I do want to shift a little bit and focus on something that I that I touched on a number of weeks ago when when uh, Dr. Stein was on this program, and uh, I want to address it with you as well. And that is something that has always sort of been a, a little bit of a sore spot for me with the Green Party, and specifically it is what I consider to be an, uh, let's not say obsession, that might be a little much, but an over- over-reliance or an over-emphasis on electoral politics and an under-emphasis on community resistance building and community network building and community organizing. And I think that that's a major uh, failing to this point. And I, I, I at least hear rumblings from people I know who are involved with the Green Party that that is something that is being discussed and being addressed and so forth. But I want to put it out there on the record. Um, one thing that I think is really exciting about you being a part of this uh, campaign is your understanding and your grounding in the history of the black radical tradition, uh, both in the United States and internationally as well. And specifically, in my view, one of the great templates, one of the great models that we have Anywhere in the history of American radical politics, it is the Black Panther Party and, and the notion of the survival program and the notion of community survival around a party of resistance. 
That is something that is incredibly powerful. Now, the Greens have, have managed to build over a couple of decades a national apparatus with a national appar- with, with a, with a fundraising, uh, structure with a grassroots in place. Now, my question to you, and I'd like to get your, uh, analysis of this, is the Green Party prepared to make the jump beyond electoral politics? And what will that look like? I have advocated for, say, picking the top 20 cities in America that are desperately struggling with poverty, with foreclosures, with the seizure of public schools, and all of the usual neoliberal disaster uh, capitalism that we've seen all over the country, and focus attention in those communities. If you had community centers, in Flint, in Detroit, in Chicago, in Philly, in Oakland, in Houston, in all these places, and they were sponsored by the Green Party, and it was a place that people in the community could go to get Maybe they need clothing. Maybe they need legal advice. Maybe they need food. Maybe they need baby diapers or what have you. A place that people can go, that to me is far more powerful than struggling for an extra quarter of a percentage point here and there. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Eric. And I think that, as, as you know, that kind of conversation is taking place. Now, the only reason that I'm part of this effort is because I know that uh, there there is a growing majority within the Green Party that recognize that that this is not just about the electoral process. This is, in fact, a building a structure that connects up to and is integrated with the social movements uh, and that the, the, the struggle for transformative power is not just at the national level, but really is centralized on the state and local levels. And that that kind of a party that you are describing uh, is a real possibility. But the, the party apparatus has to be developed. And this is part of the objective of, uh, for my, in, my, in terms of my participation uh, in this campaign, that there are uh, marvelous opportunities for us to 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 uh, to to repopulate, if you will, to expand uh, the party apparatus, in particular in places like the South and in uh, certain major cities. But it's, it's, it's part of, as you know, as, as, a, as, as organizing, it's part of, of, uh, of a process of relation building. And we have to have those conversations. There is still uh, questions and reluctance. Uh, and so it's going to be a, a process of having conversations with uh, community organizers uh, around how we, in fact, uh, relate to and look at this electoral process or how we look at the Green Party uh, as a structure. So that is taking place. That's what I want to do. Those kinds of conversations uh, around this country. Now, let's let's just close with another issue that I think really needs to be focused on here, because I'm frankly, I'm 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 so incensed when I've read some of these smear articles against you that I'm I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job of containing it in this conversation. But um, one thing I want to point out is just you're not the right kind of black man. You understand that? You're not the right yeah. kind of yeah. black man for a liberal. Obama, that's a black man that the liberal can get behind. That's a black man who doesn't endanger the uh, the empire. That's a black man who's willing to go to war in Africa, who's willing to bomb Libya to smithereens, who's willing to undermine governments, who's willing to drone bomb families, who's willing to do all of the things to maintain the status quo that keeps liberals in their place and keeps them happy. And they don't want to hear that, but that's the reality. Obama was what a lot of us said he was back in 2008. He was a facelift for empire. And a facelift is all the liberals want. And when it's a black face, they're all the happier. But when they see somebody like you, a black man with your history, a black man with your integrity, a black man with your radicalism, with your questioning of all of these institutions of white supremacy and capitalism, all of a sudden you're a danger, you're a threat, and you have to be destroyed. Well, I mean that's that's their that that's their mode of operation. So, and we understood that, and we understand that that uh, you know people with my perspective, uh, my class politics, uh, we we represent a real threat. When we talk about uh, the black misleadership class, when we talk about the fact that we've got to deal with the issue of class struggle within the black community, when we call out the kind of collabor- uh, collaboration that. Uh, the, the black petty bourgeoisie have been involved in for the last few decades. Uh, that is a real threat to the power base and to the standing uh, of these, these, these uh, black elements. So 
yes, we will and will continue to be uh, a threat. Uh, and you're right. No, I'm not. I don't sing uh, like Obama, uh, and I don't and don't intend to lie to the people like Obama. Uh, you know, my my approach in this campaign is is no lies, uh, no compromise, uh, and no fear. And that's been how I live my life also. So, yes, they are very uncomfortable with someone like me because they know that I cannot be bought and they know I'm not scared. But there's a whole lot of folks like me out here, and, and in particular among these young folks. They're organizing and they're coming. No doubt about it. Um, couple of couple of last points before I let you go. Ajamu, please, please, please explain to me and the many other people like me who are socialists or communists or anarchists who consider themselves left radicals, who consider themselves revolutionaries, explain to me why those people should give a crap about the Green Party, should give a crap about what you guys are doing, because isn't the Green Party just a petty bourgeois capitalist party? Why should we be interested? Why should we get involved? Explain to them why this matters. Well, you know, that is a, those are good questions. And I would argue that uh, there's a certain motion taking place here in this country. Uh, and that because you have millions of people, and for the first time, significant numbers of people who are willing to, to, to make a break from the Democratic Party. Uh, I think that's significant. Now, these folks may not be revolutionaries yet. Uh, and so a Green Party formation may be sort of a, a, a transitional phase. But understand this, the, the, they're, they're, the Green Party is developing in a very uh, a, a, a radical direction. There are real radicals in that party. Uh, and so I would say that if you understand, if you understand the importance of being connected to the mass, the mass struggle, and you understand that there are numbers of people who are involved in this electoral process. That might be something you might want to take a second look at. If you are really committed to building alternative power, and you understand that there is uh, a, a space uh, in your local city council or your school board or whatever that your organization might determine that it's going to take that you want to have an instrument to be able to do that outside of the two major parties. So these, for me, are all strategic uh, questions as opposed to questions of principle. So for, for us in the, in the U.S., we've got to, you know, uh, we've got to kind of consider these things. And if you make an assessment and you determine that it's not to something that makes sense to you, that's absolutely fine. You know, so we're not trying to convince everybody that this is something that they need to be concerned with. It may not be, uh, but, you know, people need to be engaged in real organizing. They need to be trying to find out how they can get really connected to real people. Uh, they've got to be thinking in real terms of how we connect up these various social movements. And they've got to figure out how they uh, relate to uh, the state uh, beyond just protest politics. You know, I think the state apparatus is a, is a, a terrain of struggle. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, how one engages that apparatus to me is not a question of principle, it's a question of strategy. Two, two points in, in response to that. Number one, where is the Green Party going in terms of the other parties of the radical left? This is a question that always comes up, and I think it's really critical because what we're talking about when you say plug, bringing together the social movements, well, there's going to be a lot of people who say, wait a second, I've dedicated the last 15 years or 20 years or whatever to building up my party, whether it's the Workers' mm -hmm. World Party or the or PSL or you know the Socialist Party USA or whatever it may be. There's a number of other parties on the left who align with a lot of what you and I are saying, in fact, align with some of the things that Jill says, not all necessarily, but a lot of them, that, mm -hmm. that there is, to me at least, there's more than enough ground for coming together as a unified left. And let me say why that's so important. We have a right-wing, dare I say, fascist ascendancy all over the so-called Western world. In the United States, it takes a virulently white supremacist form uh, around Donald Trump. In Europe, we see the rise of fascist parties in almost every country, Hungary, France, uh, Italy, 
Britain, Austria, Germany, the Netherlands, it goes on, Greece, of course, it goes on and on. All of these parties are growing. We have a major fascist and racist backlash that is coming, uh, coming around the corner and it's only beginning to grow. So tell me, how is the Green Party and what you're trying to build going to address both bringing together the disparate elements and addressing this growing fascist menace? Well, you know, that, that, the process of how we bring together the uh, uh, disparate left uh, is, is a, uh, an important conversation. I'm not suggesting that, this, uh, that the Green Party, uh, and definitely not this, um, this campaign, it's going to be the mechanism for doing that. I'm not. Uh, I, by the way, I'm not. I'm not implying yeah. that either. I want yeah. to make that clear. I'm not mm-hmm. implying that those other parties gotta, you know, get on board or anything like that. But this is a question: the fragmentation of the left that we have always struggled with, and we have yet yes. to find the answer. And 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 you're right. And so the 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 issue is that I think that the objective forces that the objective conditions are going to begin to force us to begin to struggle among ourselves uh, to, to identify some common ground. Uh, we, 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 we have to recognize that uh, we have these various formations uh, and we have to uh, uh, identify those aspects of the, uh, the programs of these various formations that we can uh, unify around. We have, to have, we have to have start having those kinds of conversations. Um, we think that uh, in the struggle for local power, that basically those kind of conversations can can be had. Um, and uh, again, these are all going to be strategic questions. If there are certain uh, left parties that, uh, and there are left parties now that are engaged in the electoral process, uh, then you know I, I don't see that there will be a local, for example, a local green formation that will be in competition. I think that there will be the basis for uh, for conversations and to make sure that there is coordination so that they can uh, uh, present and advance uh, a united left alternative. But see, that level of maturity, Eric, still has to be developed. I mean, every, we still have in the U.S. left, you know, folks who still believe that they are, in fact, the one and the only party to lead things, uh, and we've got to deal with that. I think that what we have to develop in the U.S., we have to develop that, that radical left social block that was made up of the various social movements, uh, various parties, uh, grouped, grouped together and, and uh, committed to certain uh, uh, programmatic points, maybe three or four of those or whatever. But people moving as a block in a common direction. Um, I mean, that's going to be the only way that we're going to be able to concentrate power uh, in this country with any hope uh, of winning. So. We've got to struggle through these these contradictions. Now, it's not going to be easy because we have uh, the the uh, infiltration of liberal individualism, uh, both as individuals and in how organizations operate. Uh, and so, purging ourselves of all of these uh, these these uh, uh, backward tendencies uh, is is all will all be part of the kind of, of 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 struggles that we have to engage in. And we have so many contradictions. You see what what's happening with. Uh, the issue of, of of the left or how it relates to the U.S. state when it comes to uh, foreign policy and, and specifically uh, foreign interventions. We have people who define themselves as leftists who can't find a uh, intervention that, that they don't agree with, you know, and they have these marvelous uh, so-called leftist uh, argumentations why they are supporting U.S. imperialism objectively. So these are the kinds of, of struggles we're, we're going to have. But I think what's going to help to pull this together is coming from, from the bottom up, coming from uh, uh, Black Lives Matter and groups like that, uh, coming from the anti-colonial struggles. Uh, you know, there, I think that's where we're going to see the kind of, of, of energy, the kind of motion that's going to uh, force people to either uh, get involved and get involved in a real and principled way or get out the way. Absolutely. Last point. I'm just want to. I just want to ask you this question, uh, both from your perspective and then how you would uh, view some of your colleagues in the Green Party and just in in general. Do people, in your opinion, feel the sense of urgency to do all of this that I feel? And what I mean is not that oh we have to do it, we have to create this movement, we got to do all of this. Not just that. 
but that our time is very, very limited. We are facing, I, I believe, multiple existential crises, a climate crisis, a potential world war scenario crisis, particularly with Hillary Clinton, and of course, a global economic crisis just waiting to happen. As you know, when history takes a turn like that, all the politics changes, everything accelerates, and oftentimes it goes into very ugly directions. So my question is, do people understand just how urgent this is, that we don't have 20 years to build a unified left, that we don't have all of the luxury of, of all of this time, and more to the point, do they understand the centrality of their participation in preventing those crises from destroying us? Uh, my short answer to that, Eric, is no, they don't. And that's why you have the phenomenon of, of the progressives for Obama. Uh, and now you, you're you seeing see pretty soon the progressives for, uh, for Clinton. They don't seem to understand that in many ways we cannot afford another eight years of a democratic uh, administration because the tendency is for folks to basically go to sleep. Yeah. And Ajamu, Ajamu, I want to clarify. I'm talking about do people in the Green Party, do people on the left that you're working with, do mm -hmm. people who want to build that left, forget the Democrat liberals, they're, they're in many ways a lost cause, and I would argue they're in many ways the enemy. I'm talking about our comrades, our colleagues, yeah. our friends, the people who we're building with. Do they understand the urgency of the moment, what Martin Luther King called the fierce urgency of now? Do they get it? Because I'm afraid a lot of them don't. Well, Eric, I, I may have to agree with that. That, that there are some that they get it, and there, there are some that um, still think that we have plenty of time. And I share I share your analysis that that the 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 uh, repressive apparatus of the state uh, and the kind of ideological uh, convergence that's taking place between uh, uh, neoliberals and, and, and neoconservatives. Um, um, I mean, it doesn't bode well for, uh, for the future. These folks understand that this, this system is in crisis and that there's no real reform. And they are prepared to do whatever they need to do to maintain their hegemony. I don't think people understand uh, what that means. I don't think people understand that, that the little bit of democratic space that we have uh, can be very easily swallowed up. We already see the tendencies. We already see the the policies being uh, uh, implemented. We, we just we were just revealed that uh, the Obama administration, when they released their so-called guidelines on the use of drones, that basically they have a so-called due process for how they kill uh, U.S. citizens. So they have basically admitted that they undermined the Constitution, that basically they have, uh, they, they have decided that they're going to, uh, to move away from the due process of the Constitution to a due process uh, being implemented by faceless unelected bureaucrats and people allow that to to stand so the people have been conditioned in a very in very uh, dangerous ways to accept more authoritarianism and so when as this society as this this the system begins to continue to 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 crumble uh, and they are, uh, are are required to require more and more violence to maintain their hegemony uh, I think that space is rapidly disappearing for us to have real effective above ground opposition. No doubt about it. Well, um, I figured if I just kept asking you questions, I could keep you long past the time I was supposed to let you go. So that worked I, I out. Saw, well. I saw that. That yeah, worked that. out well for me. But, uh, anyway, that's just, that's just a dirty trick of mine. But, um, so Ajamu, where do people go? What do people do? So someone is listening to this. They've never heard you before. They don't know who you are. They don't know much about the Green Party. What are you tell, what, what are you suggesting they can do? They're energized from this conversation. They feel like, oh my God. God, maybe we do have a chance to really build something. Where should they go? What should they do? Well, I have to, I have to you know, and I have to direct them to the to the to the uh, party um, website, to the campaign website, uh, Jill Stein twenty sixteen. I can direct them to my website, my enhanced website, uh, and they can also get information on the campaign. But they can also get 
information on uh, exposure to, to many of the things that we've been talking about during this conversation, many of the things that I have been writing about for the last uh, few years. Uh, and I invite them to come and to, and to engage me um, in, in conversation. So, yes, that's where you go, ajamobaraka.com. But also we invite everyone out there who hears this. If you're not a, a regular uh, listener uh, to this program, to, to do it from now on. And if you're not a regular uh, subscriber or, or reader of Counterpunch, you have to do it. This is one of the only places you can get this kind of analysis. Beyond Counterpunch, I would say basically you need to uh, read Black Agenda Report. You know, these are just a few of the places we have to go to get the kind of alternative information we need to be able to make the kind of assessments we have to make to be prepared to uh, uh, intervene and to transform the moment uh, that we're in. Beautifully said. As always, uh, I want to thank you again, Ajamu Baraka, for coming on Counterpunch Radio uh, for the third time now and uh, for the first time as a VP candidate for the Green Party. Uh, look. I'm not really, I'm not really shying away from saying Ajamu is my friend. Ajamu is a comrade in struggle. Ajamu is somebody that I trust and respect tremendously. And I would urge people to get more acquainted with Ajamu, with his work, to get more acquainted with what the Green Party is doing in this election, because it's much, much bigger than just, uh, you know, November 8th. This is going to go on long past that. And the struggle is only just beginning. Ajamu Baraka, thanks again buddy. Thank you, Eric. Listeners, thank you as always. Talk to you next week.